This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged presentation of Martin Luther's sermon for the third Sunday of Easter. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The text for this sermon is John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd layeth down his life for the sheep. He that is an hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, beholdeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf snatcheth them, and scattereth them. He fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knoweth me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock, one shepherd. This is our text. This is a comforting gospel, which so beautifully portrays the Lord Jesus, and teaches us what manner of person he is, what kind of works he does, and how he is disposed towards men. There is no better way to understand it than to contrast light and darkness and day and night, that is, the good shepherd with the wicked one, as the Lord himself does. Now you have often heard that God has given the world two different proclamations. One is that which is declared in the word of God when it says, Thou shalt not kill, not commit adultery, not steal, as it says in Exodus 20, and when it adds the threat that all who do not keep these commandments shall die. But this declaration will make no one godly at heart. For though it may compel a man outwardly to appear godly before men, inwardly it leaves the heart at enmity with the law, and wishes that there were no such law. The other proclamation is that of the gospel. It tells where one may obtain that which will meet the demands of the law. It does not drive or threaten, but tenderly invites us. It does not say, Do this and do that, but rather, Come. I will show you where you may find and obtain what you need to make you godly. See, here is the Lord Jesus. He will give it to you. Therefore the two are as contrary to each other as taking and giving, demanding and presenting, and this distinction must be well observed. Thus God ever has ruled and still rules the world today. To coarse and rude persons who are not influenced by the gospel, the law must be declared and they must be driven until they are humbled and acknowledge their imperfections. When this has been accomplished, the gospel is to be applied. These are the two divine proclamations which come from heaven. Besides these, there are others that are not from heaven but are human prattle, which the Pope and our bishops have invented that they might terrify our consciences. Such men are not worthy of being called shepherds or hirelings. They are here designated by the Lord Jesus as thieves, murderers, and wolves. For if men are to be savingly governed, it must be done with the word of God, and if it is not done by the word of God, they are not properly governed. Now here Jesus has in mind the second proclamation. He explains it and sets himself forth as the chief shepherd, yea, as the only shepherd, for that which he does not tend is not kept. This comforting and sweet proclamation we will now consider. You have heard that after his sufferings and death, Christ our Lord arose from the dead and entered upon and was enthroned in an immortal existence. Not that he might sit up there in heaven idly and find pleasure in himself, 
but that he might take charge of the kingdom of which the prophets and all the scriptures have so fully spoken, and might rule as a king. Therefore we should think of him as being present and reigning among us continually, and never think of him as sitting up there doing nothing, but rather that he from above fills and rules all things, as Paul says to the church in Ephesus chapter 4, and especially that he is taking care of his kingdom, that is, the Christian faith, and that therefore his kingdom among us here on earth must prosper. This kingdom, as we have said, is so constituted that we all must daily increase and grow in holiness, and it is not governed by any other power save the oral proclamation of the gospel. This proclamation is not of men, but Christ himself sent it forth, and then put it into the hearts of the apostles and their successors, so that they understood it, and into their mouths so that they spake and declared it. This is his kingdom, and so does he rule that all of his power is comprehended in and connected with the word of God. They who hear and believe it belong to this kingdom, and the word then becomes so mighty that it provides all that men may need and bestows all the blessings that we may desire. For it is the power of God, and it can and will save all who believe it, as St. Paul declared to the Romans in chapter 1. If you believe that Christ died to save you from all evil and will hold fast to that word, you will find it so certain and sure that no creature can overthrow it. And as no one can overthrow the word, neither can anyone harm you who believe it. Accordingly, with the word you will overcome sin, death, devil, and hell, and you will find a refuge in the word and attain that which is found where the word is, namely, everlasting peace, joy, and life. In short, you will be participants in all the power that is in the word. Therefore, it is a peculiar kingdom. The word is present and is orally proclaimed to all the world, but its power is deeply hidden, so that none but they who believe realize that it is so effective and that it accomplishes such great things. It must be experienced and realized by the heart. Hence, all that we preachers can do is to become the mouthpieces and instruments of Christ our Lord, through whom he proclaims the word bodily. He sends forth the word publicly so that all may hear it, but that the heart inwardly experiences it, that is effected through faith and is wrought by Christ in secret, where he perceives that it can be done according to his divine knowledge and pleasure. That is why he says, I am the good shepherd. And what is a good shepherd? The good shepherd, says Christ, layeth down his life for the sheep, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In this one virtue the Lord comprehends and exemplifies all others in the beautiful parable of the sheep. Sheep, you know, are the most foolish and stupid animals. When we want to speak of anyone's stupidity, we say, he is a sheep. Nevertheless, it has this trait above all other animals, that it soon learns to heed its shepherd's voice and will follow no one but its shepherd. And though it cannot help and keep and heal itself, nor guard itself against the wolf, but is dependent upon others, yet it always knows enough to keep close to its shepherd and look to him for help. Now, Christ uses this trait or nature of the animal as an illustration in explaining that he is the good shepherd. In this manner, he plainly shows what his kingdom is and wherein it consists and would say, My kingdom is only to rule the sheep, that is, poor, needy, wretched men who will see and realize that there is no other help or counsel for them that we may make it the plainer and may understand it the better, 
we will cite a passage from the prophet Ezekiel where he speaks of the wicked shepherds that are against Christ when he says in chapter 34, Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? Ye eat the fat, and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You kill the fatlings, but you feed not the sheep. The diseased have you not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought back that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with rigor have ye ruled over them. And they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they become food to all the beasts of the field, and were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my sheep were scattered upon all the face of the earth, and there was none that did search or seek after them, and so forth. Accordingly, God reproves these shepherds who do not keep the sheep. And now mark well what he has written. His earnest intent in this paragraph is that the weak, sick, broken, those who are driven away and the lost, are to be strengthened, bound up, healed, and sought again and that they are not to be torn to pieces and scattered. This you should have done, says he to the shepherds, but you have not done it. Therefore I will do it myself. As he says further on in the same chapter, I will seek that which was lost, I will bring back that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. Here you see that Christ's kingdom is to be concerned about the weak, the sick, the broken, that he may help them. That is, indeed, a comforting declaration. The only trouble is that we do not realize our needs and infirmities. If we realized them, we would soon flee to him. But how did those shepherds act? They ruled with rigor and applied God's law with great severity. And moreover, they added their own commandments, as they still do. And when these are not fulfilled, they rave and condemn, so that they were driving and driving and exhorting and exacting continually. That is no proper way to tend and keep souls, says Christ. He is no such shepherd as that, for no one is benefited, but is rather wholly undone by such a course as we shall presently hear. Now let us consider this citation from the prophet Ezekiel in this order. First he says, The sheep that are weak are to be strengthened, that is, consciences weak in faith and troubled in spirit and of tender disposition are not to be driven and told, you must do this. You must be strong. If you're weak, you're lost. That is not strengthening the weak. St. Paul, speaking to the Romans in chapter 14, says, But him that is weak in faith you receive ye, yet not to disputes over doubtful things. Now we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Accordingly, they should not be driven with rigor, but should be comforted, even though they are weak, lest they be driven to despair, and in time they will grow stronger. Isaiah the prophet speaks of Christ likewise in chapter 42. A bruised reed will he not break, and a dimly burning wick will he not quench. The bruised reeds are poor, tendered consciences, which are easily distracted so that they tremble in despair of God. He does not fly at them then and trample them underfoot. That is not his way, but he deals with them gently, lest he break them to pieces. Again, the dimly burning wick, which still burns at least, though there be more smoke than fire there, he does not wholly quench, but lights, and again and again trims it. That is a great consolation indeed to such as experience it. And therefore he who does not deal gently with tender consciences is no good shepherd.
Secondly, the prophet says, Neither have you healed the sick. Who are the sick? They are those who are manifestly deficient in certain of their works. The first clause has reference to tender consciences, the second to outward conduct. As, for instance, when one growls and sulks and now and then lapses, and in anger and other foolish ways oversteps the bounds, even as the apostles at times grievously stumbled. But even those who in their outward works before men manifest their shortcomings, so that people are offended at them and say that they are rude and peculiar, he will not cast away. For his kingdom here below is not so constituted as to embrace only the strong and the whole, as it will be in the life to come. Christ is sent here that he might receive and help just such people. Therefore, even though we are weak and sick, we must not despair and say we are not in the kingdom of Christ. But the more we realize our sickness, all the more shall we turn to him. For that is what he is here for, to heal and make us whole. Accordingly, if you are sick and a sinner and realize your condition, you have all the more reason to go to him and say, Dear Lord, I come just because I am a sinner, that thou mayest help me and make me good. Thus necessity drives you to him, for the greater your ailment, the more imperative it is that you seek relief, and that is what he wants. Therefore he tenderly bids us to be of good cheer and to come unto him. They who are not good shepherds, however, expect to make people good by hatefully scolding and driving them, whereas they are thereby only making matters worse. And this may be seen when we look upon present conditions brought about by this wrong method, when everything is so piteously scattered, even as the prophet has here said. Thirdly, Ezekiel says, Neither have you bound up that which was broken. To be broken is as though one had a bone fractured or were otherwise wounded. And when a Christian is not only weak and infirm so that he makes a misstep at times, but when he falls into such great temptation that he breaks his leg, for instance, if he should fall and deny the gospel as St. Peter did when he denied Christ, well, even though one should make such a misstep as to be impeded or overthrown, even then you should not cast him away as though he no more belonged to this kingdom. For you must not rob Christ of his characteristic, that in his kingdom abounding grace and mercy alone prevail, so that he helps those who realize their misery and wretchedness and desire to be helped, and that his kingdom is wholly one of consolation, and that he is a comforting, friendly shepherd who tenderly invites and would induce all men to come unto him. Now all this is effected through the gospel alone, by means of which we are to strengthen all the weak and heal all the sick. For this word will satisfy every want of those whose consciences are troubled, and will give full consolation to all, so that no one, no matter how great a sinner he has been, need despair. Hence, Christ alone is the Good Shepherd, who heals all our infirmities and raises up again those who have fallen. He who does not do this, that is no shepherd. Fourthly, the prophet says, Neither have you brought back that which was driven away. What is meant by that which was driven away? It is that despised soul that has fallen so low that all efforts to reclaim it seem to be in vain. Nevertheless, Christ would not have even such dealt with rigorously. He would not have his kingdom narrowed down so as to include only such as are strong and healthy and perfect. That will be the case in the future kingdom that follows this life, as has been said. 
Now, because he reigns, pure grace and bliss only shall prevail. Even as God promised the children of Israel in Exodus 3, that the promised land would be a land flowing with milk and honey. Likewise, St. Paul says that our uncomely parts shall have more abundant comeliness. This he says in 1 Corinthians 12. Fifthly, the prophet concludes, Neither have you sought that which was lost. That which was lost is that which is given up as already condemned, so that there is no expectation that it will return ever. As the publicans and harlots mentioned in the gospel, and as the dissolute and intractable in our day were and are. And yet even these he would not have us pass by, but would have everything possible done to reclaim them. This was done by St. Paul on different occasions, as, for example, when he delivered two men unto Satan, as he said to Timothy in the first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they might be taught not to blaspheme. And again to the first Corinthians, he says in the first, his first letter to them, chapter 5, I have concluded to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He had cast these away as condemned, and yet he goes after them again. Therefore we should so preach Christ as one who will reject nobody, however weak he may be, but will gladly receive and comfort and strengthen everybody, that we may always picture him to ourselves as a good shepherd. Then hearts will turn to him of their own accord and need not be forced and driven. The gospel graciously invites and makes men willing, so that they desire to go and do go to him with all confidence. And it begets a love for Christ in their hearts, so that they willingly do what they should, whereas formerly they had to be driven and forced. When we were driven, we do a thing with displeasure and against our will. That is not what God desires. Therefore, it is done in vain. But when I see that God deals with me graciously, he wins my heart so that I am constrained to fly to him. Consequently, my heart is filled with happiness and joy. Now see what an evil it is when one person judges another. Christ's kingdom, as we have heard, is calculated to heal and sanctify only such souls as are sick and needy. Therefore all must err who look only upon those who are strong and holy. Consequently, the knowledge that rightly apprehends Christ is great and mighty. By our nature we are knaves to the very hide, and yet we expect everyone to be pious. With open mouth we do not want to look at anybody but strong Christians. We ignore the sick and weak and think that if they are not strong, then they are not Christian at all. And others who are not perfectly holy we reckon among the wicked. Yet we ourselves are more wicked than they. That is what our evil nature does and our blind reason that wants to measure God's kingdom by its own imagination and thinks that whatever does not appear pure in its eyes is not pure in the sight of God. Therefore we must get that idea out of our minds, for if we keep it before us too much we will finally get into such a state of mind as to think, Oh, what will become of me, if only they are Christians who are strong and healthy and holy? When will I ever reach that state? And thus we ourselves will make it impossible. Therefore we must eventually be driven to say, Dear Lord, I realize I am very weak, very sick and despondent. Nevertheless, I will not allow that to confound me, but I will come to thee, that thou mayest help me, for thou art ever the good and pious shepherd, that I also confess thee to be, 
and therefore I will despair of my own works. Let us therefore ever be wise and learn to know Christ well, and to know that in his kingdom there are only weak and sickly people, and that it is nothing but a hospital where the sick and infirm who need care are gathered, and yet there are so few who understand that. And this fact seems so obscure that even that they who have the gospel and the spirit are lacking in the knowledge of it, for it is the most profound wisdom that man can attain. For even though they see that the scriptures praise this kingdom and speak of its preciousness, yet they do not realize what the words mean, and do not understand that they contain that true wisdom which is far above the wisdom of men. For it is not our wisdom that we deal with, and that we speak of and preach to sensible, prudent, and wise people, but it is this, that we go among fools and simpletons and care for them, not because we find pleasure in doing so, but in order that we may help them to get rid of their sins and foolishness and to find righteousness and true knowledge. So you see that Christian wisdom does not consist in raising our eyes to that which is lofty and wise, to see ourselves reflected there, but in lowering our eyes to that which is lowly and foolish. Let him who knows this thank God, for such knowledge will fit him to accommodate himself to and guide him under all circumstances in this life. Therefore you will find many even among those who preach the gospel who have not yet attained it. They never taught us that before, and we were accustomed to think that we did not dare to come to Christ until we had first become perfectly pure. Now you must get out of that way of thinking and come to a proper understanding of Jesus, and to learn to know him as a true shepherd. But we have heard enough on this point for the present. May the Lord bless us. Amen. This has been a presentation of Classical Lutheran Preaching from the Sermons of Martin Luther, the John Nicholas Lenker Collection of 1905, and reprinted by Baker Book House in 1983. You are listening to K N N A L P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.